and welcome to today's episode of the Business Meets Fitness podcast with your host, Lauren Tickner. And today, guys, we are talking about gut health. I have the gut health doctor on the podcast today. Her name is Megan Rosie. She is from Australia. She is so incredibly knowledgeable and she's done a PhD in gut health. And there was no one better to bring on the podcast today to discuss the topic of gut health. Now guys, I do have a stomach test next week. It is an endoscopy, which is happening actually in four days time from now. This is where a camera goes down your esophagus and into your stomach. Basically, I believe it goes into your small intestine. So I thought now would be a really good time to discuss all things gut health from IBS to IBD to probiotics digestive enzymes and the low format diet, food intolerances, all this type of thing guys. And so that is what we are talking about today. Now this episode is very informative and it will help anyone who has potentially had any issues with stomach problems in the past. So guys, if you're excited about this episode, please do make sure to take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram story and tag me at Lauren Tickner and also at the business, at sorry, Business Meets Fitness. That is the username for the Business Meets Fitness podcast. You can see this all in the description box and also Megan's information is in the, the description box for this episode as well. So guys, I'm really excited about this episode. I hope you like it. And if you do find it helpful for you, then please do let me know. Please do let me know. Also, if you have any tips, for stomach issues, but in this episode, we don't really talk too much about tips for people with stomach issues because we talk about how to figure out what stomach issue you have and what to do if you have one. So it's really, really important that anyone who is suffering with a gut issue or maybe thinks they have some sort of problems with their digestion or gets like bloating and stuff like that, then you guys really need to listen to this and also share it with a friend who you may know who has like problems with their digestion and stuff because it's just important that you get to the bottom of one of these issues because they can be so incredibly debilitating. So anyway, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. I hope you like it. Welcome to today's episode of the Business Meets Fitness podcast. I'm super excited to have you on today. So how are you? Yeah, really good, actually. I um, did some morning stretching, so I'm feeling very awake for a weekend. (laughs) So on it, so on it. So how about you give our listeners a little bit of a background about everything that you do, what got you into it, and just how everything started for you? Yeah, so guys, as you um, may know, if you uh, can hear my accent. I am Australian. So I moved over uh, to the UK about two and a half years ago. And it was after, sorry, what was that? Where about are you from? So I'm from Queensland. Oh. Um, I'm not sure if listeners know, but it's Northeast in Australia and Australia is massive. Um, <laughs> but I actually am from quite a small town called Cairns. And it's right next to the Great Barrier Reef. So it's a, quite a touristy place. If people have visited wow. Australia, most people have gone to Cairns. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess moving, you know, from um, a small town all the way to London, it was a little bit daunting at the start. But um, I really I decided to move over uh, because, so I rolled back a few years. I am a dietitian, so I um, went to university for four years and studied nutrition and dietetics. And then I, you know, started to work in a hospital with quite sick patients. And what was really um, striking to me is that a lot of the patients I was dealing with had kidney disease, um, but what the, they kept complaining about was gut issues all the time. And it was, I couldn't really, you know, get the link because 
you know, the disease was in their kidneys. So why were they having all these gut issues? And at the time, I guess gut health wasn't uh, a big thing. So I started to look more into the research and I could really see there was a gap in the evidence. So I um, decided to take it on myself uh, to, you know, do more investigating. So I did a PhD in the area of gut health um, and looking at whether we could, you know, help people with kidney disease by improving the health of the gut. And, um, yeah, it was such an amazing three years of the journey of the PhD. And it was a successful trial, so it showed that, yes, by changing the gut, by giving probiotics, which is a good bacteria, along with prebiotics, which is the food for the bacteria, we could actually improve the gut of um, these people with kidney disease and lower some of these toxins that were circulating in their blood, which we think, um, you know, was probably not being very helpful for their kidneys. So, yeah, that was the PhD. And then it was, okay, what what do I do now? I have to get a job. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I was really fascinated by the gut. And I wanted to move not just in kidney disease but, I guess, outside and to areas where I heard more of my friends were having difficulties with. So not just niching with kidney disease but all areas of gut health. Um, And, you know, one of the the main ones is, is irritable bowel syndrome. So I... Um, was very lucky to get a job at one of the, you know, world-leading centres um, in IBS research at King's College in London. So I jumped on a plane and, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, that sounds so interesting. I am going to pick your brain a little bit later on in the podcast about the whole kidney disease related to gut health because I think that that's something that, you know, it's just, like, interesting to talk about and obviously you know a lot about it. Yeah. So I guess initially, maybe I could pretty much just give my story with my gut health and then maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Because I know that something that a lot of people suffer with is IBS um, and they may not really be sure about what is going on with their stomach. Because I feel like a lot of times gut health is something that when you go to the doctor for it, they pretty much always will just say, oh, you've just got a bit of IBS, like don't worry about it too much, just kind of continue on. With it, I mean, that's what happened to me for sure. Have you found that to be kind of true with your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So I should probably mention that as well as being a research, I also have a gut health clinic um, and I specialise in all things gut issues. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the main ones is irritable bowel syndrome because it's thought to affect around 10% of people in the UK. So it is really, really prevalent. And, you know, it does upset me that a lot of... um, medical profession some not generalizing but some of them do dismiss it because irritable bowel syndrome can be so debilitating in fact Mm. you know as I'm sure you're aware but they've done some research and they've shown that um, people with irritable bowel syndrome said that they would give up 25 percent of their remaining life to be symptom free like that's how much of a burden it is to them so that's just that's absolutely crazy yeah gosh that really that's incredibly sad but yeah yeah, I mean so like just quickly I might just uh just give the listeners a quick little update on my whole history with my gut issues um just to kind of provide a bit of context before we start discussing further regarding kind of irritable bowel syndrome and what exactly it is and you know all the in-depth stuff so Ever since I've been a kid, I've always... Oh, by the way, guys, for anyone who's listening to this podcast right now, when you're talking about gut health, there is no discretion. You know, you just gotta, you just gotta say it how it is. <laughs> Absolutely, we all do it. We all poop. We all, oh, yeah. you know, 
you know, you're just going to be open about it. And I'm perfectly happy to talk about my poos. Um, so if you're, if, if you're not too into that type of talk, then maybe this isn't a podcast for you. But seriously, I think that like it's so important to talk about this type of stuff in an open way because it's normal. Everyone does it. So, hey, even the queen does, right? So <laughs> ever since I was a kid, I always honestly like was just farting so much. And my parents didn't really kind of, you'd think too much of it. I was just a kid, you know, whatever. And my dad kind of always says it was particularly from the age of like 10 onwards. So that was just a little bit of that. And then I remember being about the age of 14 or 15 or something. And I just remember I was at my friend's house. And I don't know why I remember this so vividly, but I was at my friend's house and we had a slice of white bread with like a couple of eggs on top of it. And I just remember having like a few bites of the toast. And then just straight away needing to run to the toilet because, like, I suddenly needed, you know, a bit of an explosive poop. So <laughs> from around that age is when I remember my stomach being in just so sensitive. And I would notice, like, there were particular foods um, that kind of brought it on more so than other foods. But it just kind of became this burden on my life. And honestly, like, it was very... It was like really upsetting to me because I would always be in school and I'd be needing to go to the toilet all the time. And it would just be kind of embarrassing. Like I'd be in the toilet for a long time and people would kind of be like, oh God, where the hell is Laura? And, like, and you know what it's like in school. So I went to the doctor a few times. And honestly, like the first, I'd say three times I went to the doctor, they just dismissed it saying, oh no, it's fine. Come back again in six months if it's still bad. So this went on for about either between 18 months and two years. And then I finally was like to the doctor, look, this is giving me extreme issues in my life. Like it's affecting my life in many, many different ways, blah, 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 blah. So they finally referred me on to a gas, what are they called? Endos? Yeah, gastroenterologist. Gastroenterologist. Which is just a gut medical doctor. <laughs> That's right, exactly. So they referred me to one of those. <laughs> and um, anyway, I saw that person and they pretty much said to me, no, nothing that we can do. We're going to dismiss you. You just need to follow the low FODMAP diet. Um, and the low FODMAP diet is something, you know, he basically said to me that I'd have to live on the low FODMAP diet for the rest of my life. And then, oh, that kills me. Who is it? I, <laughs> I need to go and knock on his door and have a chat to him. I know. <laughs> or her, or her. It was a guy. It was a guy. Okay. So I'm very, I've always, you know, ever since I've been about 17, I'd say, I've been extremely interested in nutrition and training. But like this evidence-based uh, ways in which the body functions and, you know, just science pretty much. But my particular interest has always been in nutrition. And I think um, perhaps it's because I had a bit of an issue with my eating when I was younger, when I was like 15, but also because um, of like this issue with my gut. So I became honestly just fix, fixated on the whole gut health thing and so I realized like from my own research that the low format diet is not something that you can live on forever unless I don't even know there might be some crazy circumstances I'm sure you're um, Megan you've got more of an idea on this than me but yeah like I just because you have to cut out so much stuff Megan do you want to just quickly run run through what the low format diet kind of really is because I can't remember the exact ins and outs yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you, you know, once we've ruled out um, other types of diseases like celiac disease and inflammatory bowel disease as causing your gut symptoms, which I think is what you're going through at the minute, Lauren. Yes. Um, and then you've got an actual diagnosis of, yes, this must be irritable bowel syndrome. 
there's a number of different nutrition-based therapies which actually have some really good evidence for it. So there's a first-line therapy which is going things through things like, you know, checking um, whether caffeine has an effect on you, spicy food, looking at alcohol, you know, your eating well. patterns. <laughs> no, 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 th- no. That that comes in the second-line therapy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So first-line, it's it's kind of more generalized, looking at your, you know, um, how often you how many times you chew your food and just like a lot of quite simple techniques and that actually seems to help around 50% of people with their symptoms you know those little tweaks alone um the research suggests but then you know for the other 50% who don't respond to that there's what we call second line therapy and that is the low FODMAP diet now, the low-format diet, um, it is an acronym, so it stands for all these really science carbohydrate names. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the diet is really strict and it's complex. So it's a medical diet in that, you know, the guidelines all say that it should only be delivered, um, you know, by a registered dietitian um, trained in the area because you're at such high risk of nutrition deficiencies if you're on the diet. And Yeah, and can I just quickly say also, like, the low FODMAP diet, the first time you kind of ever do it, you're supposed to, I swear, only be doing it for about six months maximum. No, it's, it's, it's actually only four to six weeks. Wow. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's, um, it's a three-step process, actually. So when people say, you know, the low FODMAP diet, the first phase is four to six weeks where you're very quite strict, cutting out a lot of the FODMAPs in the diet. And then after that, we assess how your symptoms are. And if you have symptom improvement, which is around 75% of people with IBS get symptom improvement on the diet, we then look at systematically reintroducing the different categories of FODMAPs because, like I said, FODMAP stands for um, groups of different fermentable carbohydrates and there's actually five different groups of carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Um, and we look at your tolerance to each in a very systematic way. For example, the first day you'd have, you know, if we were looking at something like fructans, which is one type of, of the FODMAP, we would let you have one piece of bread um, the first day, we'd see how your symptoms were. If you don't get symptoms the second day, we get you to have two slices of bread. If no symptoms the third day, we get you to have three slices of bread. Still no symptoms, we go, great, okay, you can tolerate that type of fructan, so you can include that in your diet. And we go through, you know, a whole lot of different types of foods based on the FODMAP content. So that's the second stage is what we call the reintroduction, and that can take, you know, three months depending on how many foods you need to trial. And then the third stage is what we call personalization. And that's when, you know, you've, real, you've worked out uh, your tolerance level to FODMAPs and, you know, which ones you can have more of, which ones you can have less of. So then you move forward in this personalized. And that's probably something you might stick, stick with um, for most of your life. But you're still having quite a lot of FODMAPs in that. It's just reduced and maybe some of the ones you're more sensitive to. Yeah, for example, some, some people might be a lot more sensitive to, I don't know, let's just say, take onions as an example. Yeah. Some might be more sensitive to onions so they know that, you know, I shouldn't eat, really eat onions, I should try and avoid onions. But then this person may be fine with gluten, they may be fine with, like, all the other FODMAPs. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then something else quickly that maybe um, should be added is that, like, if you are, I know you touched on it earlier, Megan, but if you are someone who's like interested in trying this format diet for the four to six week period, make sure you're doing it under, as Megan said, like under the supervision of like a dietitian or, or an expert of some sort. Yeah. 
it's seriously like you know you need to make sure that you're not get, getting any nutritional deficiencies and I also find that when people start to cut things out um kind of just like trial and error really uh like that can Megan I swear lead you to have it, having further issues in the future with that type of food yeah, there, there definitely is um, the theory that, you know, if you're cutting out foods for long periods of time, your body does become less able to tolerate it. Yeah. Uh, and as well as, you know, these FODMAPs by nature are actually what we call prebiotics. So they're the food for your good bacteria. Yeah. So if you're cutting them out long term, you're actually doing quite a bit of damage to your overall gut health, which we know is linked with mental health, heart health, kidney health, all the rest of it. So that's why, you know, I'm so um, passionate that people are aware it's not a diet they should be, you know, trialing or, or you know, it's not, it shouldn't be a trend, that's for sure. For sure. And it's not a weight loss diet. I know this is just kind of a bit of a tangent, but for example, um, I, I, I briefly spoke about it earlier, but when I was, I believe I was the age of 16, I was in my GCSE year at school. I lost weight in a very unhealthy way. And, um, I, you know, you see it in like all these magazines saying, just cut out carbs and you'll lose weight or cut out fat or whatever the hell. So I was honestly one of these people who was absolutely afraid of carbs. I, I mm-hmm. saw bread as the devil. Um, and so I wasn't eating pretty much any gluten because I thought gluten was like a dangerous thing. And perhaps yeah. that's why now my stomach is a bit leaky <laughs> when it comes to gluten. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just thought that it would just be quite important to touch upon that. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the other important things is um, to know that, you know, although gluten is given a lot of um, crap in the media, should I say, but <laughs> it's actually the research is suggesting that it's probably not the gluten in the wheat that people with IBS are reacting yeah. to. It's um, actually yeah. the fructan. So fructans are a type of carbohydrate, whereas gluten is a type of protein. Exactly. And the thing is, is they, co-exist, they coexist in so many foods. So because we know the word gluten, we always go, oh, I had some you know, bread and it must be the gluten because I don't feel great. Exactly. Where it's actually probably the fructan load if you're having quite a lot. So interesting, especially because, you know, people have this negative association with carbs, like people in their head, well, a lot of people anyway, will be like, oh, carbs, the devil. Even my dad and I were chatting the other day, because my dad has kind of learned a lot about macronutrients, and he's he's on, on uh, in the process of losing body fat and just kind of getting a bit more fit at the moment. And yeah. I, said, I said something um, about carbs, and he's like, oh, no, but carbs are bad. And then I was like, seriously, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is not but that i just find it incredibly interesting because gluten is a protein it's not you know a carb yeah, yeah. a lot of uh primary carb sources for example bread pasta they are all pretty they all have gluten in them but yeah like i don't know i think that's a really good point that you just made like yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, that brings the other concept that we can't really be black and white with certain foods because all foods actually contain some degree of fat, some degree of protein, and some degree of carbohydrates. Yeah. You know, for bread, bread actually does contain a bit of protein and it does contain some fat, sure. although it does mostly have carbohydrates. But I think, yeah, and looking at a food as a whole, um, because, yeah, white bread's not going to be the best thing you could be eating. Um, whole grain bread, on the other hand, is actually a really good source of nutrition. So yeah. it's so hard when people start to talk about macronutrients like that, isn't it? 
but impressive that you're able to um to tell your dad <laughs> I know <laughs> actually I know. no dad I think I know better in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> for sure I know yeah well like it's, it's it would be a very rare situation where someone's just sitting there eating table sugar you know or something like that yeah absolutely all right cool so um back to kind of the whole topic of IBS and irritable okay so IBS is obviously irritable bowel syndrome IBD is inflammatory bowel disorder and then the disease yeah a disease oh gosh sorry Um, (laughs) no it's all these acronyms it's very confusing yeah my mind is all over the place right now so oh so uh, you're saying 10% of people will have this IBS so as people are going through the diagnosis of IBS, how about when they kind of, uh, it might be a bit more severe than IBS? Like, so I, I think sometimes people, okay, Megan, you probably know best about how we should talk about this. So IBS, do you want to just quickly explain that? Yeah. Okay. So if someone, if you're struggling at home with gut issues, so your, your stools are kind of funky that, you know, you might go to the toilet a lot, um, you know, more than three times a day, or you might go, I'm, I'm talking about opening your bowel, so doing a poop, um, or actually you're not, got, you're not doing a poop for, you know, four days on end. Um, you're getting really bad bloating, flatulence, any of those types of symptoms, as well as tummy pain. So you have to have tummy pain for a diagnosis of IBS. So if you're getting those symptoms, what I recommend, the first step should always, always, always be to go to your GP to rule out more serious conditions such as celiac disease, which is an allergy to gluten or inflammatory bowel disease, which is where you get um, these ulcer type things in your large intestine and other things like colon, um, colon cancer. So your doctor, your GP will do a quick blood test to check um, the celiac disease. But actually I think an important point um, without getting off, off target on that is for celiac disease tests to be valid in the blood, you actually have to be including gluten in your diet. Yes. Did you know that, Lauren? Yeah. Um, well, this is something that's very interesting for me at the moment because I've had these blood tests done um, on several occasions. However, these have been at periods of my life where I haven't been eating gluten at all because I do notice personally, and um, this is due to kind of being uh, just very aware of the food that I'm eating and kind of the, how my body is reacting just because like I'm interested by it. And I, it's, I kind of see my body as like a bit of an experiment. Um, not the <laughs> to help the rest of the world <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly so I I noticed well actually I mean let's be real it's because I absolutely love cookies and, <laughs> and even if I've not been eating gluten for a while and I then just commit to having a having a big fat old cookie I, I definitely notice a bit of a bit of a change in the old toilet department so anyway right. So, um, yeah, anyway, so what I was saying was I've had these blood tests and they've all come back negative. They've basically come back saying that I have a mild intolerance to gluten and it's not out of the kind of NHS uh, spectrum of being a dangerous, like, celiac type. However, I have been referred to a gastroenterologist. I have, So but going back to what I was saying earlier, I a few years ago, I believe it was in 2015, I had a... Um, um, a blah, 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 a gas, wait, what's it called when it goes up your bum? Colonoscopy. Colonoscopy, oh yeah. Yes. My, my mind goes blank with all these funny words. Related. Words, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a camera that gets, goes up your butt yeah, and looks around your intestinal tract and takes um, little biopsies. So they'll take a little bit of the tissue so they can look under a microscope and see if it's okay. Yes. And it's like a little camera as well, yeah. 
So yeah, they took a few biopsies and that was all normal. Um, however, then they referred me back to the gut health doctor guy and told me to, that I needed to be referred to a dietitian uh, again to go on a low format diet. Yeah. Um, this time it was obviously going to be under the under the supervision of a um, nutritionist or whatever. So um, yeah. a dietitian nutritionist. Which one is it? Uh, diet. Well, you know, dietitians actually nutritionists as well. Oh, um, yeah. It's but it's one. yeah, it is all confusing. You know what? It, because it's a medical diet. You know, technically speaking, it should be delivered by a dietitian. But you yes. know, if you're seeing a registered nutritionist who is actually quite an expert and has the resources, okay. um, then that's fine. But the thing is, you know, the data on what foods contain FODMAPs is not on Google. It's not really available. It's very, you know, if you do Google it, it's not comprehensive list. So that's yes. kind of worse than the danger. Anyway, back on, back on, sorry. So, yeah, so I was referred to the dietitian. However, I actually chose not to go to the dietitian because I thought, you know what, I've got control of this myself. Like, I can, I'm just going to deal with it. So, yeah. I was fine, honestly, for about three months. But then yeah. I don't really know what happened, Megan, because I was sticking to the same old food, you know, didn't really change anything, wasn't eating any foods that I believe that I was reacting to personally, just from previous experience, being, you know, the experiment I am. Um, <laughs> however, then my gut just started getting worse and worse. And honestly, like, it was so bad that sometimes I would just be, you know, my stomach would be so bloated, I couldn't even barely breathe. I'd have to just like lie down in bed. And I know that sounds like an absolute over-exaggeration and so dramatic, but honestly, like it's just true. I had to sleep. No, no, it, it's definitely, yeah, I, I see a lot of a lot of patients where I see the photos and I'm like, yeah. you know, you do look like you're six months pregnant. I, I completely sure. empathize with that. Yeah. yeah, and it was just so painful. And like, I would honestly be having like these diarrhea poos just seriously about eight times a day sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be so bad and like, it, it, I, I'd normally start the day off okay, and then as I would as I, was, as I would get to about six pm or maybe a little bit earlier sometimes, dependent on you know just the day or whatever, it would my stomach would just be so bloated, so painful, so gassy, and this was happening every day, and it was just unbearable. And like I, I still live at home, so I'd like be sat in the lounge with my dad in the evening. He, he would literally be like, Lauren, this is disgusting, girl, bro. And it would just be really embarrassing. And like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. So that happened, and then I went back to the, my GP actually, and, and I told him what happened. So he referred me on again. So then I went and saw the um, the gut health doctor again at the hospital. Yeah, he pretty much again <laughs> said, no, no, it's just IBS. Don't worry about it. Um, and I was like, no, like I, as I was in the consultation room, I was like, no, 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 seriously, this is affecting my life. Like, I don't know what to do anymore. Like, I can't go about my life like this. I can't live like this. And then I think he realized as I was getting really stressed yeah. and just really pushy in the, um, in the hospital, he realized that he needed to do something. So now pretty much what happened, this was, I'd say about four months ago, um, yeah. Since then, he's told me, okay, you need to start eating gluten and you need to have an endoscopy, which is where it goes down your throat, the camera this time. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be looking at like a, the upper tracts, I guess, of my stomach. Yeah, yeah, and in your small intestine. So, you know, if we think about how like the our digestive tract is it, we've got this little 15 centimeter tube that it's called our esophagus. When we eat food, we swallow it and it quickly yeah. goes down our um, esophagus and then it lands into our stomach 
where it's in there for about, you know, one to two hours, depending what you eat, and then moves on to this seven meter long tube, which is called our small intestine. And that's when they'll be looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the last part is called our large intestine. And that's um, where they looked up for, their, for the colonoscopy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So pretty much I'm having that in four days' time. So I will be updating the listeners of the podcast about that. Perhaps we could talk again, Megan, after I've had that. Um, so yeah, that'll be really interesting to find out the results. So yeah. I think just, just moving back to, you know, you know, if your listeners are having gut issues, we're saying about going to the GP yes. and yeah. getting checks the celiac through the blood test. And that's where we're talking about if you are having the celiac blood test, uh, you do need to make sure you're having quite a lot of gluten in your diet and it's the yeah. equivalent of around four slices of bread every day for around six weeks. So oh, that's no, what the gold I standard is. I'm having enough for my thing. This, these next few days I'm going to be having to have so much. Yeah, because yeah, cause the thing is if you're not having the gluten in your diet, then the allergies not triggering your immune system and then they can't measure it or they can't see it in your blood if you're having a blood test or in the um, the intestinal tract, which is what you're doing with the endoscopy. So you do need to be, which I know it's, you know, uncomfortable because you do get those horrible symptoms, um, but for that, you know, this gold standard test, you do need to be including it so they can actually check. Yeah, um, it's really important for sure. I mean, yeah. th- that's the thing though, when you're having to have these tests and it does bring up discomfort to you, it's absolutely horrible because this has been going on for a long time now where I've been having to eat this gluten um, and it just hasn't been very pleasant for me because my I was basically supposed to have this test um, a couple of months ago, but they ended up pushing it further but yeah. hey, whatever, it doesn't matter so it's gonna it's gonna get sorted anyway so hey, yeah right and it's me. always it's it's really good to get peace of mind um mm-hmm. that you know you don't have celiac disease and you don't sure. have um inflammatory bowel disease or colon cancer now not everyone will go and get a colonoscopy because you know 10 percent of the uk um are going to have ibs so and it's yes. you know really expensive to have one so Often they'll just take a stool sample and they'll measure an inflammatory marker in there called fecal calprotectin. And if that inflammatory marker is raised, then that's when the the gastroenterologist um, will get involved and go, okay, we need to actually go up there with a camera and do a colonoscopy. Yes, and that's um, why that's why I'm having all these tests because mine has been raised, like on raised. the occasion that I've had to poo in that little pot. That little pot, right. So that's why they've then gone, okay, it looks like, you know, it could be something more sinister. So let's go and definitely check that out. Um, sure, with exactly. the camera and the biopsies and stuff like that but you know if you have those blood tests and the stool tests and they come back negative um then it is likely you have ibs but unfortunately there's not like a a positive diagnosis for ibs there's not like one test you can do the way they do diagnose it is they rule out celiac disease they rule out inflammatory bowel disease and then there's these criteria now the criteria is you have to have tummy pain at least one day a week um every week for the last three months Mm-hmm. and you have to have some sort of relation with your stool. So it has to be you've got funky-looking stools or the pain is um, released when you move your bowels or um, something along those lines. So there has to be something as well with the stool. And like I said, you have to have that tummy pain um, as well as those funky stools. Um, you have to have that for at least six months. So it has to be a chronic thing. It can't be just a small, short bout of it. Yes. Um, exactly. So that's the, I guess, the like cri- hummingbug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the criteria for irritable bowel syndrome. And then if, yes, you've got irritable bowel syndrome, um, 
you then would I would recommend going on first line therapy and um, looking at those uh, those key things that I mentioned before. So you know whether it, it's the um, spicy foods, caffeine, alcohol, you know large amounts of fat in one sitting. Um, looking at dairy as well, so the lactose can kind of be an issue for some people as well as different types of fiber. So we'd go through that, and again you can get um, advice from a dietitian or a registered nutritionist for that one, um, and then. If you don't respond to that, then maybe you want to try low FODMAP diet. But like I said, it's really restrictive. And I also worry that it can it can kind of trigger some eating disorder issues in some people. Mm, yeah. You know, being on a really restrictive diet is, is not great. So I'm very conscious about who I would recommend um, go on that diet. Yeah, no, um, I agree for sure, definitely. So once people have gone through the kind of uh, IBS and then they think perhaps it is something more severe, they've seen their doctor and stuff, so they do the first line therapy, then the second um, line therapy. How about if they're doing all these different things and they still don't feel like they're, you know, getting any change in their stomach? For example, I know for sure that even though I thought I knew what foods were triggering my stomach. Then just randomly I'd get these bouts of mad, mad, like swelling in my stomach and like bloating. And like, this is like actual proper bloating, not just I've eaten too yeah. much food today. And so much pain, so much farting, so much, so many poos. Why yeah. is this happening, Megan? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, we don't really understand the cause of IBS. Yeah. What we know is there's many different things we think potentially can cause IBS. For example, we know that if you had gastritis or a bout of a gut infection, um, then you're actually three times more likely to develop IBS oh, than, you know, than the average uh, person. Also, if you've had you know, a number of back-to-back causes of antibiotics, I also see that quite a lot in my clinic and that can potentially trigger IBS. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's, you know, my research is really around IBS and looking at potential causes as well as other diet therapies. So, um, you know, there's so much we don't understand and like, you know, your initial experiences with a lot of the medical profession kind of dismissing IBS and that's because, you know, three years ago it, wasn't really a thing it's only starting to be more appreciated and recognized in the last um you know three or so years because of the research coming out so you know research is so important that we keep driving that um but you know if you are still getting symptoms what I do with a lot of my clients is I get them to do a seven-day food and symptom diary Mm -hmm. so I can then track the different foods as well as their symptoms um and I do recommend for this you do go to you know a, a professional in the area because it can be really hard to link symptoms with foods. For example, just because, you know, you've eaten a slice of bread and then all of a sudden you're getting gut symptoms, it's probably not the actual bread that's causing that. Mm, um, in the bread. You know, no, it might not even be that because, um, you know, it takes our digestion, uh, um, you know, the food getting into the area where it can kind of cause that fermentation and the flatulence and the bloating often takes about eight hours. So it's probably mm. something you've eaten eight hours ago. Mm. Um, but that will depend on everyone's individual trance, so how fast their gut is actually moving, um, which can differ from person to person. So there's a lot of different things at play, um, as well as, like we were saying before, FODMAPs are hidden in all different foods. So, you know, it's not necessarily just cutting out one individual food. It's finding out actually what FODMAP are you not, intolerant, are you not tolerating 
and then yeah. going and looking at the long list of random foods that you wouldn't have thought <laughs> that FODMAP is in. So, you know, it's really, really difficult to go at it your own. Um, and all I can say is, yeah, try as, as hard as you can to get a referral um, from your GP to a dietitian. Um, yeah, or see, yeah. you know, someone who, who knows quite a lot about the area and has access to the comprehensive guide to the low FODMAP, um, which unfortunately, like I said, is not, not available on Google. Um, <laughs> if you're looking at lists on Google, then they're very restrictive and I'm, yeah. I'm sure yeah, you're probably not getting in enough of your, your fibre, which is still really important. So a low FODMAP diet is not low fibre. You should still hit your fruit and veggie mark every day. Um, yeah. It's also important to say like too much fiber can cause stomach problems because I know for sure that in the past I've eaten way too much fiber and I've definitely, well, that's obviously made me poo a lot more than I should be. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, a lot of these protein bars and things, they actually. Oh, God, yeah, it's so bad. Yeah, they contain the. Um, these artificial sweeteners like xylitol, and xylitol is a type of FODMAP. So a lot of these bars actually contain concentrated amounts of FODMAP. So when people are eating them thinking, you know, oh, this is great for me growing my muscles and, you know, it's really healthy and they're getting all this really big bloating and flatulence and all the rest of it, mm-hmm. it's probably due to these supplements they're taking. So I'm really cautious when people are taking supplements just to be, yeah, careful of what's in Yeah, them. definitely, especially if they have that isomulto. Was it IMO? Yeah, isomaltose. Isomalto something, I can't remember exactly yep. what it is, but that one is just basically pure fiber and it's a sweetener as well. And it's in things like Quest bars. And seriously, I mean, they just, yeah, I don't know. Trigger, yeah, they'll trigger everyone. That's why on a lot of the packets, they actually legally have to say if you eat in, you know, large amounts, you may get diarrhea. The same with chewing <laughs> yeah. gum. You know, chewing gum yes. contains a lot of those sweeteners, so sugar-free that's why they have to make that claim. Yeah, the sugar-free yeah. thing, because why they're sugar-free or how they're still able to be sweet is that we malabsorb them. So if we eat sugar, that's rapidly absorbed in our small intestine, gets into our blood, feeds all our cells. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. these, you know, sugar substitutes, why they don't contain calories is because we actually don't digest them in our small intestine and they get from our small intestine into our large intestine where we have those trillions of microorganisms like the bacteria, the yeast, the viruses, etc., and they ferment those uh, those sugars or those fake yeah. sugars, and that can lead to those you know the bloating and the flatulence because one of the side effects is that they release gas from that fermentation of those um, <laughs> artificial sweeteners. So oh there's a big there's a lot of yeah science and mechanisms um, to explain what's actually going on. It's very clear you know why it's all happening like that. Yeah, so interesting. So, Megan, I just quickly want to also speak about something, um, which is kind of the whole prebiotics and probiotics. Yeah. Because, I mean, just a little bit of background. Like, I have actually tried taking a probiotic before um, with, like, billions of whatever the hell they are. (laughs) And I found that it actually really hurt my stomach. So I have seen in the past that different people should be taking different ones. I mean, is this something that you often do with your clients? Yeah, look, probiotics, um, so they're just, you know, meant to be beneficial, good bacteria. Mm. And the evidence on them is quite varied. Um, for example, you know, if there was a lot of, for a while, people were like, oh, you know, gut health is linked with weight loss, so I should take a probiotic, it'll boost the health of my gut, and therefore I'm going to lose weight. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, now, when we actually look at all the evidence for probiotics and weight loss, we see that there is a significant reduction. If you do take um, a specific type of probiotic, you are likely to lose weight, but that weight is only about half a kilo. So, you yeah. know, so small, it's actually insignificant amount of weight. So mm-hmm. we don't recommend um, you take a probiotic for weight loss. Yeah. Whereas when we look at things like irritable bowel syndrome, there is some evidence that a probiotic may be able to help. But the thing with probiotics is that they contain all different types of bacteria. Mm. And, you know, analogy I like to use is, you know, um, if you compare a mouse and an elephant, they're both mammals, but they look and act very different. Now, that's the same with bacteria in probiotics. Each different strain of bacteria actually has different functions. So it's kind of a little bit ignorant of us to kind of group all these probiotics together and say, oh, yes, they're all going to do the same thing because they definitely don't. Mm-hmm. So that's, again, why it's really important for the research to be done because we test, you know, specific brands and specific strains of bacteria and types of bacteria and look at whether they work. Yeah. And in irritable bowel syndrome, the evidence suggests um, there's three different brands which may have some benefit because they've been trialed in clinical trials. Yeah. Um, one is Ulcerex has shown benefit, okay. um, and they recommend taking that for four weeks, trialing that. The other is Simprove, and that's three months. There was benefit um, in some people with IBS. And the other one is BSL-3. Um, which was taken for four weeks. So, you know, it's really important to make sure we're not just taking anyone, but we're actually looking at, you know, what the evidence has said. And, you know, these clinical trials, I know they're, you know, boring because they're research, but what they do is they eliminate a lot of this bias and they randomise people to either have this placebo, so a a fake probiotic, or actually get the probiotic. So there's no bias there. And then they, you know, really um, in a very systematic way, compare which which intervention had the most benefit and if there was more with the probiotics then they go great that actually might must work but often you get no difference between a placebo and a probiotic suggesting it's probably a waste of your money yeah no that's really interesting so okay then there's also obviously digestive enzymes do you do too much with them Oh, that's another, sorry for all your listeners, I'm probably rambling so much. This is another, um, not a sore point, but another thing that really frustrates me is these broad spectrum digestive enzymes. So, you know, our body is able to produce most of these enzymes. So like Mm -hmm. the proteases are the enzymes which break down our protein. Amylase break down a lot of our carbohydrates. Oh my God, I remember this from GCSE biology. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, unless you have pancreatic insufficiency, which is a very severe disease and you would totally know if you have it, um, you know, taking these enzymes is actually just a complete waste. And if we think about the mechanism, it could actually be doing us damage because we're feeding ourselves enzymes which our body naturally makes and maybe it will suppress our own production. So true, so true. Well, that's really interesting actually because I think a lot of times uh, companies maybe in their marketing schemes (laughs) group like uh, probiotics and digestive enzymes all in the same thing. It's kind of like a bit of a detox tea type situation but in a more advanced field. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. You know, there is some evidence for taking individual enzymes. For example, if you're lactose intolerant, um, which, you know, quite a few people are, particularly if you have Asian heritage, um, taking a lactase enzyme, so it's the ASE on the end means that it's an enzyme, Mm -hmm. taking that when you have, you know, dairy which contains lactose actually can help 
um, with the digestion of that if you are, you know, lactose intolerant. But, you know, it's it's taking these broad spectrum digestive enzymes is not helpful, but individual ones can be. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Cool. Um, so, I mean, I think we've covered a lot in this podcast. Is there anything else, Megan, that you can think of that you'd like to speak about? Um, look, I don't want to overload your listeners and turn them off because they're probably going, oh, my God, this Australian is just rambling on. I need a break. So maybe, um, you know, we can uh, put it out to listeners if there's any questions that they want us to touch on in a future um, chat. Then sure, yeah, I, I welcome them. We should definitely, yeah, we should definitely do another podcast. I'm particularly interested in uh, the whole thing you were talking about between uh, gut health and kidney disease. Maybe do you want to talk about that briefly now, or shall we leave it for the future? Um, maybe we should leave it for the future. <laughs> okay. I think I think you know if we try cram too much in, it is going to turn people yeah, off. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, and and then an, sorry, keep going. Mm-mm. yeah and then just I guess one of the other really topical things is gut health and brain health and mental health and all that sort of so stuff true. so, so true. you know there's yeah. so much out there um amazing that, yeah. yeah no I think that's been great Megan thank you for your time um and I hope the listeners of the business meets fitness because have liked this so where can they find you if they want to go research some more of your work and maybe get in contact with you if they do have a gut health issue so I am on all the social media um, networks. You call them networks? What are they called? Yes, <laughs> I don't even know. Platform, I Platforms, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> um, not very savvy on that part. Um, so I am at the gut health doctor. Uh, so on yeah, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'll leave and that in the description box of the podcast for people to click on. Yeah, and then I've got a website, um, www.drmeganrossi.com. So most of my details are on there. Perfect. No, lovely. Well, thank you very much for coming on today's episode. And I hope the listeners will provide us some very in-depth, like nice little questions that we can answer potentially in another episode in the future. So that'd be great. Thanks so much for having me and good luck with your endoscopy. I'm sure it will be fine. (laughs) We'll discuss it next time. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode of the Business Meets Fitness podcast. I really do hope that you have enjoyed it. And guys, as listeners of the Business Meets Fitness podcast, I am giving you a 10% discount on my new training guide, the Tone Up in 10 training guide. So if you just head to my website, which is www.laurentickner.com, that is also in the description box for you to just click straight away. Just head to my website and you can get 10% off the Tone in 10 training guide. You just have to enter the code SAVE10 at checkout. And I've got this all in the description box if you just want to go to the description box right now and check it out so that you can just grab that offer. And this is for you special listeners of the Business Meets Fitness podcast. So guys, anyway, thank you so much for listening today. Make sure you get your questions firing away to Megan and I. And thank you again for listening. If you want to leave a review, it is always appreciated. I hope you have an absolutely lovely day and remember to smile.